Cougs house. All right. Monday, open up the basketball transfer portal window. Got a lot of questions about who could be a future Cougar. We'll look at a little bit of that. And one of Kelvin Sampson's most controversial takes as head coach of Houston Cougar men's basketball. You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougars, the podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsworth, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater can step by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way, the latest on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. Welcome back to the YouTube channel. It's good to see you again. Remember, we are doing a giveaway at 1,000 subscribers. We've been doing this every 250. Uh, we're about at 8, so let's go ahead and pass 800 mark by you hitting subscribe down below, and let us know you're in the contest. You want to win something. The faster we get there, the better it is. Uh, by answering a question, or uh, telling us something you think about who should be coming in, or it'll come up more later, trust me, but tell us where your favorite place to get a breakfast sandwich is. All right, in this first segment, I want to talk some about uh, people at the transfer portal that like perked my interest and kind of my take on the transfer portal as a whole. Um, the second segment and third segment, talk some more about what Kelvin Sampson had to say in his media availability, his radio show he does on Mondays. Some insight to like the background of the Houston Cougar like approach to the tournament and those kinds of things along the way there. Admittedly, those will be a little bit shorter. Spend a little bit more time in the bulkier part here at the start. We got notes on kids transferring. Um, so let's jump in. I, I think it's worth pointing out that there is a transfer on the roster right now. Um, Malik Wilson has been noted as one of the best defenders in the program. He's long. He's 6'3", uh, 160. has springs for legs. I mean, just flies through the air. Um, and he's actually redshirting this season because it's going to be hard to find minutes in a very crowded guard room. Um, I will say from watching him jump and fly around at the uh, red and white scrimmage to start the season. He really can go, folks. Um, he transferred in from Texas Tech last season, um, and so he does have some more eligibility left to play next year. Uh, so he's on the roster, right? He is on the roster ready to go. I also think it's worth pointing out, like, in the class of 2023, you got big guy Sed Lath, who's actually graduated at Christmas and is spending his, quote, redshirt year on campus this spring so we can work out with Coach Alan Bishop and work out with Kellen Sampson in the big man room, that kind of stuff, just as a, quote, redshirt guy. But he's senior and high school age kid, and he'll be on the roster next season. You also have JoJo Tugler from Cy Falls, right, just up the road, or just, I guess, up north part of town. Um, and, like, he's a very talented basketball player. He's listed 6'7", 215. There's a lot of big fella kind of guys. Think, like, longer Jawan Roberts kind of look, right? Um, big, strong guy. I know exactly where he's going to fit into the system when he comes in. Uh, the interesting one to me is big fella Jacob McFarland, 6'10 and change, I would say. Uh, super skinny, though, at about 200 pounds. Um, he is a recruit that shot up rankings over the summer uh, out of Rancho Verde in uh, California. Um, not a typical recruiting ground for the Cougs, but he was a quick commit as he was climbing up those rankings. And um, frankly, he could be this kind of like he shows up, he registered for a year, works at Allen Bishop, puts on a bunch of good weight. He's got great feet and hands and great touch around the rim. And then my favorite, I like guard play, uh, Cordelia Jefferson, uh, Cordell Jefferson. He's from uh, Arlington Martin High School in the DFW Metroplex. He is a gamer, 
folks. He is competitive as all get out. Listen up, 6'3", 180. I bet he's probably more like 6'3 and change and more like 175. But he is a competitive kid. I really like what he brings to the program. And those are kids already coming in. So when we talk about transfers, like there's a couple guys graduating. We had three seniors on senior night. Um, three spots, I should say, uh, three, uh, for those guys graduating. I assume that Jairus is going to the league. Um, and, and like, I, I guess theoretically don't know the Ramon Walker situation, those kinds of things. He's a culture fit guy. I like having him around, but there was like murmurs around, you know, he hadn't played a whole lot. Then he suddenly like had to step away from the team and now he's redshirted and like, is the mental health stuff or is the physical health stuff, whatever is going to be best served. If he goes home, I have no reporting on that. No indications of that. That is a thing you see on the internet. And I think it belongs best on the internet. I don't know if it needs to be dive into more than that, but that doesn't mean that there weren't some exciting names out there. And so I want to talk through a couple of them. Um, I'm going to kind of go from like least exciting to most exciting because why not build things up? So Elijah Fisher, uh, with all the turmoil at Texas Tech, this guy is a 6'6 perimeter guy, um, a, a forward. He's got some explosive like quicks to him, a little bit of a bounce. He like has a great second leap. So like think about leap broad jump and then vertical jump like boom boom he's really good at the second burst out of that um three years left in his eligibility uh was originally from canada um great back cut kind of guy swingman would take a little bit of more work with his ball in the offense game but trust me i think you're gonna like the kinds of stuff he'd bring the program if he were to show up assuming there's a spot right if he were to show up i think you'd appreciate the kind of things he brings the program uh Jamin uh, Brakefield is a kid out of Mississippi, uh, originally from Mississippi, went to Huntington Prep in, I think it's West Virginia, um, certainly in the, that area. It's a prep school. Um, and then he started off at Duke for a year, didn't get the kind of run he wanted. Coach K dips. He goes to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is going through their stuff right now. They got Chris Beard, which we can talk about in a later episode. I got problems with that, too. But um, UH did recruit him. right? Uh, Houston recruited him out of high school, but did not offer. He's 6'8", 220. Um, he's a pick and pop guy, but he's not quite a shooter off the pop. He's more like catch and drive, right? He's like, uh, already galloping into the stuff as it goes off of it. Um, shoots a high percentage on a low volume. So he may end up turning into more of a traditional pick and pop guy. Um, I, I wonder what kind of things he can do with him. We talked about some different sets. They've Houston's run with Jairus this season. He is not Jairus Walker, but I wonder if he could turn into that kind of a project. Um, similar kind of guy also at Ole Miss is why they lumped together in my head. Uh, Amari Abram is from Humble, Texas. Um, so then he went to Southern California Academy, which has a weird website and stuff like that. I'm trying to figure out more about Southern California Academy. Um, but after high school, went to an academy year and then went to Ole Miss. Houston did not offer. He's, you know, he's from Humble, Texas, but it looks like he still has three years of eligibility. Um, he is a really, really good downhill attacker. Um, really, really good at getting the lane, really good at getting to the bat- bucket, not scared of the big guys in the trees down low, um, and really, really crafty and aggressive. And I really like that in my guard. You've seen me at times talk about Jamal Shedd. I think the play that you run for Jamal Shedd more often than not is just HB dive, right? Running back dive, like in Madden. Um, he's that kind of a guy. I, I wonder, he's listed as a combo guard. Uh, he doesn't do all the ball handling responsibilities at Ole Miss. So I wonder if it'd be good to get him in with Jamal Shedd for Jamal Shedd senior year and kind of see if they can like work together and share the responsibilities a little bit as he transitions into being a point guard. I don't know, um, but I'd be interested to see the project work out. He's a highly talented recruit out of SCA, and you know we'll see. Um, I... Went kind of more to the big guys on the ladder three here. Uh, a guy named Robert Jennings is uh, 6'7", 
225, uh, but plays even bigger than that. He's broad shoulder kid, uh, originally from DeSoto. Um, and Houston did offer him at a high school, but he went to Texas Tech. Um, I thought it was interesting with, you know, all the turmoil at Tech, these same kids come to the same couple big programs, right, bouncing around. Um, he's got three years eligibility left, um, and he floats into space really well. What I mean is like when someone drives, he relocates to a spot to get the drop off really well. Um, so when you run those HB dive plays with Jamal Shedd, you theoretically then have a guy to drop it to really quickly. Um, admittedly, uh, <laughs> I don't know how he fits in the rotation with the big guys we've got. Um, he kind of seemed like a lot of overlap and skill. But with three years of eligibility, you get him on campus, you redshirt him, you see, like, right, things could play out. We'll see. Um, a guard that I think um, probably the best guard for a Houston system in the transfer portal. Currently, I guess more guys could jump in the next few days and weeks. Um, but the best guard that in this like big mad rush of people to the transfer portal was uh, Sky Clark, uh, who's from Los Angeles and then went to Montverde. Um, he committed to Illinois and uh, he only played 13 games in his freshman year at Illinois this year. So I don't actually know if that qualifies him for a full four years of eligibility left, or if he's got just the three, um, but he's a decent shooter. He controls the pace. He's crafted at the rim. Um, really, really great, like traditional true combo guard kind of guy, right? Like he really does do a bunch of point guard things and a bunch of shooting guard things and kind of fluidly goes back and forth between the two. I think the pairing with Jamal Shea would be great. Um, all of that said, um, it's worth investigating like what happened at Montvert, what happened in Illinois? Why is why are these things happening? Because that's not the program in turmoil that Illinois, that uh, Ole Miss or Texas Tech are, right? So I don't know where that's going to play out for him. But I do think he's a system and culture fit at the surface level. He was not in U, U of H's radar at a high school. Um, admittedly, there's some guys that they just don't look at at the big academy type places as the program's been growing. Um Frank, that's like why Jarris was such a big surprise to get to the University of Houston, right? Um, one guy that I I get why they didn't recruit this kid as hard and offer him in high school, although they did recruit him. Um, but I would be interested in looking at right now is Eddie Lampkin. Now, Eddie Lampkin is a 6'10 and change listed at 290 guy out of TCU, right? Um, I'd imagine when he got to TCU, they probably fibbed and pulled his weight down to make him look like he's in better shape. And I imagine now he's actually probably closer to 80. He's gotten a lot better shape as he's been at TCU. Um, he He's a big kid that has good ball skills, and those are just hard to find. Now, I don't mean to like liken like Shaq. He's going to the NBA Hall of Fame, or the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame, I should say. Um, but he is in much better shape now than he was in high school. He went uh, Morton Ranch and Katie, right? Like people know him in the Houston area. He wouldn't like it'd be a good recruit pitch to bring him back home. And he might be the kid if we're going to get one transfer out of anyone that I want the most. I know we've got big guys in the roster, but the way that Jawan plays that four, that traditional power forward spot so well, um, has me wondering what he would look like if you had a force down low and kind of let Jawan roam a little bit more. Now, because when Jawan's playing the center, frankly, in a lot of ways, he's playing out of position. He passes well enough to be a more traditional passing power forward. Um, he's got Eddie Lampkin, this is, as a 6'10 and change, 290-ish guy. Has really good, like, two and three dribble moves. Not like a lot of, like, ball hand, like the professor or hot sauce or whatever, man, one mixtapes. But decisive, one, two, boom, right? 
right dribble, spin left, finish, right? Left dribble, cross back, right, finish the right hook, right? Back down, back down, spin, right? Like all those kinds of three-ish dribble moves that a post has to be able to do. He's a great feet and hands for that. The biggest problem with him at TCU, and I don't mean this, it just was his motor, right? He's continuing to work himself into shape in a way that like, you know, it sounds like there was some headbutting with coaches at TCU. They didn't say it was about the getting a shape thing, but when he put his name in the transfer portal, there was some text messages screenshotted that went viral about like, he didn't feel like the family atmosphere there was actually like they thought it was going to be when he signed up. It's been two years, da 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 all the things. It's ugly, but you can go there and check it out. I think Houston's got that family atmosphere and culture. It can continue to foster this. Um, and again, Houston was interested enough to be recruiting him in high school. They just didn't offer. And I wonder if the thought was with the way Houston plays, the level of shape he was in as a high school senior would have been really hard to translate into what Houston does. As you've seen him dedicate himself to his body and his craft and getting in better shape. I wonder if like things start to fill out a little differently and like, is it worth a two year flyer on? Um, I, I admit that part of this is cause he's a kid from Katie. Part of this is cause as I have a kid myself, I like, I, I acknowledge the idea like he's getting in better shape. This needs to be rewarded. Like he's doing the things that look like he wants to do the thing for real. Um, and, and frankly, I, I really do think the family atmosphere thing at Houston works uh, I talked about the on-court fit with Jawan Roberts. I, I just, I also think that as you're moving into the Big 12, having a giant option, right? We talk about how Javier Francis' length makes him feel bigger than he is. This guy is bigger than the rest of the guys, right? Like having that kind of a guy to put in the middle, um, both at the low block on offense and then to like anchor some defenses as a traditional 54 drop center kind of stuff. I think is a big, big move and a big, big thing Houston could do. I say all that to say that admittedly the tweet, I think that summarizes my opinions on transfers as a whole is from a guy in the DFW Metroplex that runs like different, you know, tournaments and stuff for AAU clubs. And it's not the circuit, but it's TV five. He said, uh, one coach mentioned to him that there are 180 players in the portal and 150 of them can't play. Now I think these six guys can play. I think Malik, Wilson uh, can play. I think Houston's got avenues to guys that can play. However, I also think it's worth pointing out that like everyone's transferring for a reason, right? Everyone's finding new greener pastures for a reason. And Houston's got a really strong roster and a really strong group of kids coming in already, right? They shouldn't just be going after anyone just for getting anyone's sake. Houston is ready to play in the big 12 as is, is next year's team, the same level as this year's team to be determined to be seen. To see, they got to see what kind of like you know step ups that Emmanuel Sharp and Terrence Arsenal get. What does Jamal Shed look like as a senior? Right, um, all those things have to happen. But the transferring thing is intriguing, especially in modern college basketball. And frankly, the more Houston gets comfortable with that, the more they continue to dominate college basketball in whatever avenue it goes down. Um, I say to say that like. I was intrigued to look at the transfers and I'm putting my notes away because I think that's all I'm going to do for it until a transfer really shows interest or really does uh, or commits or something like that. Right. Like I, I think Houston's okay, but we shall see um, before we get into Kelvin Sampson's comments. And again, the most controversial take he's had since he's been the head coach of the Houston Cougars. We got to talk a little bit about 
FanDuel. Now, FanDuel is the perfect thing to download because it is the midway point in the NBA season, and it's America's number one sports book. Customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets. That's bonus bets back if your first bet does not win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on anything from money line to point scores and threes drained. Uh, for the Houston and Northern Kentucky game, they got the spread set at 19.5 points. The over-under under set at 122.5 as well. I think that's going to be closer to 130. I see this being a 50 to 70, uh, you know, 55 to 75. Like, not like exactly 50 to 70, because obviously that'd be 120. I feel it being more like the 75, 76 to 55, 56. I see both teams kind of comfortably over those lines, and that makes me think that it's closer to 130. Um, so I think I'm taking the over there, and I think Houston does eventually win by more than 20 points. We're going to preview this game later this week. And I should say that like the part of the reason this is so low is that Northern Kentucky plays a really, really slow pace of basketball. And so if you do your own research and think otherwise, feel free to fade P that's fine. Uh, it's fine with me. I am telling you though, whatever you decide to do, they should go do it at FanDuel. FanDuel lets you combine your bets for a bigger payout with the same game parlay. Don't miss the chance to win uh, your no sweat first bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets whenever you go to fanduel.com slash locked on. That's fanduel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make everyone worth FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. All right. So I said in this uh, second and third segments, I want to talk something about Coach Kelvin Sampson's uh, radio show and his appearance because it offered interesting insight um, to how they approach the tournament and how they do things. First of all, he said that um, a more general coaching philosophy and looking back at the season is they do try to win the basketball game on both ends, even though they do know in the back of their heads the whole time that it is a little bit impossible. It's just nothing you can realistically do. There's only so many hours a day and so many things you should work on. It's hard to be good at both things. But he was quick to point out that like Houston is, at least going into the conference tournaments, was top 10 in both Offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency. Actually, after the term, they falling back, falling back to eleventh in offensive efficiency. Um, for what it's worth, the national champion in the entirety of the Ken Palm era, so about twenty-two years, has been top forty in offense, top twenty in defense. Houston, for most of the season, to take out the Marcus Asterisk, missed the game that he missed, was top ten in both. Right, um, winning at both ends though is a thing that they're dedicating themselves to, even though it feels relatively difficult. Uh, on the Memphis game, and this might be the last thing we mentioned about said Memphis game, um, he bluntly said that they opened the game still trying to find themselves. And it was very, very obvious to him as a coach that like they could not figure out who they were without Marcus. And that was what he ripped them for at halftime, was you're still Houston. Quote, uh, you are not a victim. Whether Marcus is here or not, you are Houston. You have to represent the culture we built here. So like that's why you saw the big push the second half is like they clearly like had to reestablish that identity. I maintain had they opened up the first half like they did the second half, they actually win the game without him. There's I mean they won the second half by five points. Um and it wasn't because they were doing anything crazy. They just were finding their spots. They made a couple more shots and they missed open shots in the first half. Right. Um just interesting look at the game as far as like what else he had to say about it. Um, you know, he, he said that as a coach, you got to know when to rip your guys and when not to. And that was one of the half times that you do have to rip your guys because they were not playing up to the standard they've set. Um, and they said that that was led to one of the only times he and his group have ever been upset at Selection Sunday. Remember, the game ends at like 440 Central Time. Selection Sunday opened up at 5. By 505, they know where they're going, right? And so like that weird mix of emotions, I think, was interesting because uh, 
you know, admittedly, in the year since Houston played Villanova in the Elite Eight, they've only lost three times, right? They lost to Alabama in a game that they should have won. They were up by 15 in that game. They lost to Temple by a point, and they missed a tough layup, but a, a layup nonetheless that would have won it, and the loss on Sunday, right? Um, and so it's hard to get used to losing, in Kelvin Sampson's own words, when you don't do it very much, right? Like there's just something hard for them to do. And um, the, the thing that was interesting, I thought in watching is like, obviously coach Sampson's going to do the coach thing and say, we're not looking past anyone. We're only focused on uh, Northern Kentucky. And that's the only thing I'm looking at. I got assistants watching other films and they're doing their thing, but we are focused on Northern Kentucky and all of that. But he also did say that matchups do matter because playing a team later in the tournament can help maybe have like, if you have two bad matchups only having to play one of the two because the other two have to go play themselves. Like those things can help. And he didn't like, it didn't like beat around the bush about that. Like that can help or hurt your case. Um, Cause I, we've talked, I think there are some teams that, while I don't think they are better than Houston offer problems. Generally the teams with like a big down at seven foot. Like I, I'm not scared of Purdue. Let's go play them right now. But I do admit that Zach Eady is a tough matchup for what Houston does defensively. Um, frankly, we can talk at a later date. If we play Purdue at some point, I'd like to press them. That's neither here nor there. Um, but he also said that once they got back from Fort Worth, right? So they did all that in Fort Worth. They came back to Houston Sunday night late. Um, and he then like took the freshman because uh, everyone played over the weekend, so no one had to go do like no player things or whatever. He pulled the freshman aside, uh, Jarris, Emmanuel, and Terrence, and like talked them through what that tournament's about to look like, right? Because all the other guys just made a deep run last year. Several of these guys, several of these guys, also made a deep, deep run the year before that, right? Like the idea that um, having explained into the tournament is like to a team with some guys that have played in you know elite eight games and final four games kind of feels like silly but he did have to pull those guys to talk about like look jaris i know you played at you know national high school championship games uh shaman mark uh, not Tremont, <laughs> terrence arsenal um you hit buzzer beaters in uil state championship games to go to overtime and then hit another one in that overtime to both buzzers right however this is what this tournament is going to look like and he laid out what the travel looked like he like laid out the game plan for them in a way that was like frankly refreshing because we think about like this team is a weird balance of old and young. Um, and it was just interesting to see like how he took such intentional time or hear about how he took such intense time with them. There was a question from someone in the audience. It was a, a radio show done at Acme, or- Acme Oyster House um, about playing zone. And I felt like because I've dogged coach for running his own so much, I did need to elaborate on that. He said that in the first 30 games of the season, he doesn't think they played any zone, any possession at all. Different variations of the man but no zone, right? And then they just started doing it a little bit. Um, East Carolina game, ah, let's do it at the end of the game. And then they play Cincinnati, and they'll put Javier France in the middle because that way he doesn't go run around the three-point line, those kind of things. And he's using it, it sounds like, as a way to keep guys from getting to the free-throw line because it's so much harder to get to the free-throw line against a zone. Um, and what you're basically banking on is that you're, the points you're trading off and like giving up free-throws versus having long possessions that lead to three-pointers like you're going to win the long battle there. Um, and I don't think he's wrong. That is exactly what it does. I just felt like for the first time we saw it ran, and I, I'd still stand by this. I'm sorry, Kelvin. The first time we ran it against East Carolina, it bled points because we'd never ran it before in a game. And I was in there like, why are we bleeding points right now? 
big picture. That's why you coach Houston. And I talk to a microphone. Um, now, with that said, that is not quite the most controversial thing that he said on the mic on Monday. On Monday, Coach Kelvin Sampson decided to say that, and now he has admitted in the past that this restaurant is his guilty pleasure, but that the sausage egg McMuffin is the best breakfast sandwich that you can have. Now, I admit that he pointed out the McDonald's sausage egg McMuffin specifically and had a funny story about how he failed at cooking one himself. However, I have made the top five breakfast sandwiches. You can get at fast food restaurants, and I don't think that the sausage egg McMuffin is one. First, I have a couple outside looking in. They were just on the cusp, you know, that like last four, at, first four out, last four in, whatever thing you see in March Madness. It's bracketology, right? Um, OLI, outside looking in. Uh, the bacon, egg, and cheese taquito and the breakfast crunch wrap. Uh, breakfast, bacon, egg, and cheese taquito, obviously being Whataburger. Breakfast crunch wrap from Taco Bell. Not technically sandwiches. And so I get why they don't fit the top five here. However, I might take them over the actual sandwiches, depending on the day. Nope, nope depending on the day. Um, and frankly, I am a very big breakfast taco person myself. That said, I think Samson's wrong here. I think that like if you're expanding it just slightly, you have, might have to put those in the top five. But they're not in because it's not, right? Top five. Number five, chicken minis. Biscuits and chicken, right? Chicken minis from Chick-fil-A. Number four, and this is a little bit bougie, but the bacon Gouda sandwich from Starbucks, obviously, right? Delicious. Uh, number three, Wendy's bacon breakfast Seder, uh, breakfast baconator. Can't say it three times fast. So it's only three, but a lot of bacon. Who doesn't like bacon at breakfast time? Number two, Samson, I got you, the sausage egg McMuffin. But the number one breakfast sandwich is obviously the Whataburger, Whataburger honey chicken biscuit. This isn't close. <laughs> honey butter chicken biscuit is the best breakfast sandwich in America. It's not close. If you're not, if you're listening and you're not from Houston yet, trust me, when you come to Final Four in Houston, you're cheering on the Cougs and those kind of things, find a Whataburger, get a honey butter chicken biscuit right now. It's the best thing to go. In fact, it's kind of late, and we'll see if that's not what I go do in a moment. That's the best breakfast sandwich out there. That's the most I've ever disagreed with Kelvin Sampson. I think about anything. If you have a better option or think that you want to try and argue for something better, hit me in the comments below or find me on Twitter at Paintworth512, P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, our social media handles. I'm happy to talk all things Cougar basketball, football, baseball has started. Um, NBA drafts coming up, NFL drafts coming. We got guys in both of those. Uh, talk about the Rockets. They won on uh, Monday night. Astros, you know, hopefully defending World Series, those kind of things. All things Houston sports or breakfast sandwiches at Painsworth 512 P A I N S W R T H 512. Thank you all so much for tuning in today. Locked on Cougs, the primary Locked on Podcast Network. I'm going to recommend that your second list of the day be Locked on College Basketball. Andy and Isaac are doing a great job covering the entire tournament all March Madness long. Thank you all so much for watching. And remember, go Cougs. <laughs>